0: Good morning, The Field Church. I pray that you're doing well. And I hope you know that we're praying for you and that we love you and that we're here to help you and to serve you in any way that we can or any way that you need. And one of the ways that we always aim to serve you is by edifying you in the word of God, by being servants to you, by encouraging you and equipping you and exhorting you and teaching you and building you up in the word of God. As Paul speaks of the scripture's prophet, we pray that his word teaches you and reproves you and corrects you and trains you in righteousness. So in order to allow the spirit to do this great work in us today, let's open up our Bibles to our passage, which is Luke chapter nine, verses one through six. Luke 9, one through six. Now, before we read and explore it verse by verse, let me begin by saying that this is the second of a two-part message. Last week I taught part one, and this week I'm teaching part two. And I am sorry if you were unable to listen to part one, but I do highly encourage you to go back and to do so as it will serve as an important foundation of sort for today's message. I've titled this two-part message, Witnesses of the Kingdom. How Jesus calls, prepares, sends his servants. How Jesus calls, he calls his servants into The the service of him to to move his gospel forward, how he prepares, how he gets them ready, and how he sends them out to be his servants. And so as we look at this title, there is reason for it. And the reason for this title is that it simply points us to the main point of the section of scripture that we're in which is that Jesus sends witnesses to proclaim his kingdom. Remember, this section that we're looking at is an important transitional section in the book where this is established. And it's established as a permanent pattern. To advance the gospel, Jesus will send servants to spread his message. Now, as your pastor, my job is not only to simply show you the meaning of things, but as often as I can to show you how I got there. So I want to serve you for a moment today by helping you take one step in your understanding of how you can get to the main point of a passage. How can I find the main point of a passage? You see, what we must do with this section is what we must do with every section of the Bible, which is place it within the greater story. So we ask ourselves a big question where does this passage and its meaning place in God's redemptive meta narrative? You could ask yourself simply if this passage was missing from God's greater story what would be missing? And this is called using biblical theology. Biblical theology is all about story. Simply put, it always thinks in terms of story. It always thinks about the placement of a passage in the unfolding story of God put there by the grand architect of the story, which is God. So what's happening? What is happening at this point in the greater story? Now, while this may seem complicated and does take some practice, by the power of the Holy Spirit, over time, you can do this. And I want you to be able to do this. So for the sake of time to simply take one step in training you this way, let me just simply define metanarrative for you. It's a simple definition that I just found on the internet. You can find it too, but it defines it well. And it defines it like this. A meta-narrative, also called a grand narrative, is an overarching story or storyline that gives context, meaning and purpose to all of life. A, meta-narr- a meta-narrative is the big picture, or all-encompassing theme that unites all smaller themes and individual stories. or, or uh, I'm sorry, in a building or a house, there are many workers doing many individual jobs. Plumbing, sheetrock, electrical work, roofing, etc. But all those contractors are working toward the same thing, completing a house. The blueprint is the big picture, the meta narrative that gives meaning to each contractor's work. The plumber isn't fitting pipes to nowhere, he is involved in a larger scheme. So our passage in particular shows us where in the permanent New Testament pattern is being established, which is... How Jesus, for the first time, chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. That's the point of where we are in the bigger story. This reflects how the Old Testament had a pattern of sending prophets to cry out his message. Well, here is the first time where Jesus commissions his servants to do this in an official capacity to advance his new covenant, the gospel message. And this pattern is now established at this point permanently. And then we can see from there how he invites us into that pattern, how he invites us into that mission, how he invites us into that greater story, how he commissions us to spread his message. So knowing the main point is not for mere knowledge and puffing up. It's to bring us into a God-centered understanding of his story. It's to bring us into a God-centered involvement in his story. It's to bring about a God-centered obedience to his call and mission. And it's about uh, him bringing about in us a God-centered love for for him and a God-centered love for people when we see the passage in light of biblical theology we have a god-centered love for god and a god-centered love for people there is such thing as a self-centered love for god and a self-centered love for people so from finding the main point using biblical theology we move into steps 2 and 3 2 and 2 and 3 which are exegesis and specific application. Now, we don't have time to dive into these two steps today. I'll teach you steps two and three as I did step one when I can another time. But briefly, let me just tell you, in step two, we do exegesis for this particular passage or any passage we're studying, which means simply we don't hover superficially over the specific passage and its meaning and its place in the greater story, but we expose every detail of the passage, the flow, each word, each sentence, the connector words, the trains of thought, what the author wrote, and we squeeze out as much juice as possible from the verses that we're studying. The verses then, as we do that, support and exhaust the main point that we found in step one using biblical theology. And then in step three, we pursue specific application, which means that we don't repent generally, we repent specifically. Moment by moment, in specific situations, we become aware and we turn away from our natural ways, and we turn to biblical obedience during the situations that we find ourselves in. So we use then what we're learning from a particular passage that we're studying, and we use it to change our lives. So we use it uh, as we memorize it or as we learn it in specific ch- situations to change and become more like Christ. So to summarize this little help to you, in order not to just teach you the meaning, but how I got there, there's a lot of cracks to fill in, but there are three steps and I they're never cut and dry like I just explained to you. They don't happen in a vacuum. They're always employed in an English Intermingled type of, of way, but I always perform biblical theology, exegesis, and specific application. And you can do this too as you study God's word. So I hope this serves you well, not for mere knowledge, but for love. But this is how we arrived. At what we learned last week, including the main point. So in Luke chapter nine, verses one through six, using those tactics, specifically looking at the background in verses one through two in this passage, we uh, we gathered the title, we gathered the summary, the the main point that Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message. And we saw a few supportive points in the exegesis of the particular passage. So before we read today, let's just briefly summarize what we've learned so far in this passage. We saw that to advance his gospel message, Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. This is a permanent pattern that is being established. Jesus started out by giving testimony about himself. Remember, he did all of the ministry on his own. Then he sends apostles to give testimony about him. This is what we've learned from this section, which leads us to the fact that this tactic that begins here of him sending sent ones to be proclaimers of his kingdom, right? Jesus sends these servants, proclaimers about the Messiah, proclaimers about the son of God, proclaimers about the offer of forgiveness for sins and proclaimers about Jesus Call to follow him. This pattern is permanently established in the rest of the New Testament. And really, it finds its great climax in the Great Commission being lived out. So we pick up the baton now as a church, and we see that as born again believers, we too are sent to give testimony about Jesus. Now, we saw that as we explain this story and see this progression, we are seeing two overarching themes take place, which are pattern. And practice, simply put, the pattern Jesus is establishing is how this is gonna work from now on, which is servants spreading his message of salvation and practice of how he did this, how he established this. So from our look at the verses, how did he establish this? How, How did he establish this practice or this pattern last week as we saw? Well, we can't go into all of the details of last week, But first, what we saw is that the apostles were called and gathered by Christ. Jesus called the apostles together and he gathered them. Now, they're called together for a commissioning. We said that he was going to send them for real reasons, remember? Such as geography and urgency and necessity. Now, speaking to one of those reasons, I want to just take a brief moment um, to to illuminate maybe something else about necessity. Um, I was thinking about it this week, and, and Jesus in his humanity could only be in one place, at one time in his ministry. And ministry to all of the people, the tens of thousands of people, to the crowds that were following him was overwhelming for Jesus. So this, as he had commissioned the apostles, spread the load out, so to speak. And I was thinking about how this applies to our church and our mission and our task for gospel ministry. And you know, I was thinking that this is one of the great blessings and reasons that God has given so many pastors and elders and deacons and staff to our church, to the field church. See, when you're in need of help and shepherding, you can call upon all of those leaders. You can call upon each other you don't have to only have two options of Pastor Chad and Pastor Sam, although we're always here to serve you and to love you. But this shows us a pattern of a unity and a gathering and a commissioning before being sent out of a, of a, a, a plethora of leaders bearing the weight of the burden. Jesus was multiplying himself 12 times in this passage. And so therefore we see he is spreading out the burden of an overwhelming ministry. And I was thinking for our church, listen, you can go to each other. You can go to all of our staff, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, and leaders of specific ministry. So we see that Jesus called and gathered his apostles. Secondly, what we saw was that the apostles were empowered and sent by Christ, right? We see that they were empowered and sent. Now here, the sent ones were given his power and his authority. And it was similar to the authority and the power that he himself possessed. Remember, we saw in chapter eight that he possesses power over the curse, over disease, over demons, and even over death. Well, these apostles are going to receive the same authority as we'll see later that they even have power and authority over death. So, which by the way, this is no coincidence that we see the testimony of Jesus as the son of God who possesses this power in the previous chapter as the main point, And now we can see that he is capable and we believe that he is able to impart that same power to the apostles, right? We could spend some time on Luke's connection of chapter 8 and chapter 9, and this is intentional ordering of how this is all unfolding. But we can note that this was indeed an extension of Jesus's ministry because these were the things that Jesus was doing himself. But what we can know is that this is now given to the apostles apostles. Now, one thing that we want to point out is in this passage, this giving of this authority and power is not what we call normative, right? Meaning that this is not the normal uh, pattern of believers now to receive this form of power in order to proclaim the gospel message. This was for a specific time in history when there was not a New Testament to confirm the gospel message that they were proclaiming. So Jesus empowered his apostles with his power for the purpose of confirming his message. Now, people have written um, and completed the scripture. These very people really in our passage written by these very men. And this is what now confirms that our message as we proclaim the gospel is true. There is no need for the miraculous to confirm the message because he says in Hebrews chapter one. God says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, many different ways, including signs and wonders, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So now we look at the finished work of Christ and we look at the word of God and we share the gospel and we can affirm and confirm that this message is true by the written word. But these believers who were normal men had no no New Testament to point to for the people they were sharing with. So they were empowered and they were sent. And as this pattern is being established and this practice is being established, we too are empowered by his spirit, right? So we are now empowered by his very same spirit with his power, with his work, working through us his very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to proclaim and confirm his gospel message as we are sent with the commissioning to proclaim and share his message of salvation. So last week we saw Jesus was called and gathered by his, uh, or Jesus called and gathered his apostles. We saw secondly that Jesus empowered and sent his apostles. And lastly, we saw that the apostles proclaimed Christ and they showed the commission. Compassion of Christ, right? So we saw that the proclamation of the kingdom and the entrance into it by the forgiveness of sin through the Son, uh, the Lord Jesus, which is the gospel message, this was their main task, to proclaim that message. And yet, the compassion aspect was there as well. That Christ showed them that compassion is the way in which we will confirm our message. That compassion of Christ was shown and it was shown through the miracles dealing with healing people. So if you think about this, Christ could have chosen to confirm his message in any way. And he did so through dealing with people's infirmities. He could have made any miraculous thing true to confirm his message, but the way that he chose to do it was by healing. This is his compassion being showed, which by the way, our love and our compassion will also be what confirms our message. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So again, this is a pattern and a practice being established. His love, his compassion being what confirms his message as we share his salvation. And so this is the foundation of what we've learned so far as it was going to take us two weeks to teach through. Now uh, I wanted to look back briefly to get us in the mindset of the passage, understand how we got there, teach you a lesson about understanding uh, the passage and the main point and how to pull that out yourselves. And now at this point we can simply so far say about this passage that the apostles were gathered, they were empowered and given authority, and they were sent. And this sounds a lot like the Great Commission. So We see this pattern being established, gathered, empowered, and sent. And the same is true for us as we share the gospel message. So now, as we learn from verses 3 through 6, which will be as we close out this section today, we're going to see very simply Jesus giving three instructions as he sends his servants out. It's very simple. He's going to give three instructions as he sends them out. We're going to see the practice of sending. And we're going to see the apostles' obedience in following his instructions and in going. So we're going to see the sending and we're going to see the going. We're going to see the instructions and we're going to see the obedience the one giving the commission and the ones following the commission. But simply put, three instructions from Jesus as he sends the sent ones out. So let's pray and let's ask God to make us more faithful in fulfilling our role to the great commission as servants who are also called in this pattern and practice to spread his message of salvation. Let's pray. Then we'll read verses one through six, and then we'll talk through verses three through six today um, after we read. So, so let's pray and ask God to help us fulfill our call in the great commission. Father, we come before you today and we love your word God, we love it so much. Help us to be gripped by it. Help us not to just be observers. Help us to be gripped by your word that you are showing us today this pattern of you choosing servants to spread your message of salvation because you are calling us into that same task and pattern. This is what we step into when we become Christians. This is all of our tasks. This is all. This, this responsibility is for all born-again believers, for the whole church. God, this is our task, that we would be messengers, that this is what we sign up for when we trust in you, to, as our first priority, be servants who are sent to share your message of salvation. God, help us to be gripped by the fact that this brings glory to you. This advances your kingdom and people who are hell bound will be saved through us being obedient to this pattern. Help us not to do this for our own glory or out of a sense of of duty, but in delight to see your gospel go forth. God, we are called to be part of your commission that you commission us into this same pattern. God, I pray that we would see your instructions, your three simple instructions today to the apostles and that we would follow them as well. In Jesus name. Amen. Luke chapter nine verses one through six. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, "Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust. From your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What a simple and refreshing passage. And although simple and refreshing, this passage is entirely helpful. So please pay attention today. This is really going to help us. Here in verses three through six the pattern that sent ones are now to follow his instructions as they put into practice, living on mission, sharing his message and multiplying for Christ. This is made simple and clear. Said another way, Jesus is giving instructions for his messengers. These are for the apostles as he sends them out but these go well beyond the moment. These are Jesus's instructions to us. And we should value his instructions as messengers of the gospel. And this includes all born again believers. None are removed from this. No circumstance excludes us from this. We are all called and commissioned to be his sent ones, to share his message of salvation. Side note, today when we look at this, I love this because this is all red letter. That means what we're seeing today, majority is Jesus talking himself, his very words, which by the way, once we get into chapter 10, so the next chapter, chapters 10 through 22 are nearly all red letter. And that's going to be really fun for us to, to work through, walk through together. So Three principles, three principles for sent ones. So after they're gathered, after they're empowered and after they're sent, and as they perform two tasks, which is proclamation and compassion, Jesus says to do at least three things. And we're gonna look at these three things simply today. Number one, we see that Jesus says to fully depend on God to meet your needs. So three principles for sent ones. Jesus says to do at least three things in this passage. These are his instructions. And the first that we see is for them to fully depend on God to meet their needs. This is the instruction for a sent one. Fully depend on God to meet your needs. That's what you should do. And when we see it in verse three, verse three says this. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now, as we look at this, Jesus starts, so follow along in the verses with me as we squeeze them out, right? Jesus says to them, Jesus is instructing them. Jesus is instructing his sent ones here. And he says to them, take nothing for your journey. That's what he says. And that's the synopsis of this first Verse, verse three, the first verse of today. So they are to take nothing for their journey. That's the synopsis of it, right? But the point here is that his messengers should trust God to provide for them. And they should trust God to provide for all of their needs and they should go on with the mission. That's the point. Trust God to provide for all of your needs And go on with the mission. So their focus should not be on preparations or provisions. That's not what their focus should be on. Their focus should be on the mission. So he gives the synopsis. Take nothing along with you on your journey. Meaning, don't focus on the preparations and the provisions. Focus on the mission. But then he goes into details about the synopsis of this Verse. If you see in verse three, it's that first phrase, and then he goes into some details. And this is used to help them understand what he means. He says a few things. The first is, don't take a staff, no staff. And this is a, a, this is a plain and simple thing. This is, and by the way, this is all simple. What you read here is is, is what you, it's probably meaning. This is refreshingly simple. He's saying, take no staff, which means, Don't take a staff. In this time, a staff is simply used for them to walk through rough terrain. And so a little bit confusing about this first aspect is that Mark's version says, the story says, and so Mark, Matthew, and Luke all have the same story in their gospel, and they can supplement each other to give us greater information about all of it, and some of them have different details. Mark's version of the story says this, that Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. So that seems to be a discrepancy, but it actually brings clarity because it helps us understand that in Luke's recording, where he says, take no staff, is meant for a planning and a provisional staff, meaning an extra staff. And so basically take a staff with you as you're walking and don't pack one for your future. No extra stuff, no stored provisions, right? And Jesus says, no staff here or no extra staff. He also says in the take nothing details, nor a bag. Now this is, can be seen as either a knapsack full of stuff or as a money bag to try and collect along the way of the journey to ensure that they have what they need. He goes on in this verse, if you're looking at it with me, in verse three, he says also, nor, nor bread. This is simple. They would pack bread in their bag, nor money. Don't charge, don't do side jobs. Don't try to profit from your ministry. Don't have two tunics. Don't have money. And these tunics were, were of course, used as coats because it was cold at night. So these are very basic needs, but they are not to look at these provisions as first priority. There's no more explanation of the text than that. It's simple. It's that they should focus on the mission, period. Now, this sounds crazy to us, Yet this is exactly what Jesus was training them for. This is exactly what Jesus was calling them to. Total dependence upon him and total commitment to the mission. The need was urgent. They didn't have time to do other things. They didn't have time to worry about other things. And they didn't have the power to ensure Other things. They should simply go, and all of their needs will be met by God. If you think about this, how then were their needs to be met? When were their needs going to be met? If Jesus is telling them, don't take anything with you, don't, don't plan, don't do some side work to do it, but instead move forward with focusing on the mission, when would their needs be provided? well, they would be provided when they needed them. This is Jesus's plan for his servants, that as they go and focus on the mission, when it's time to eat, he'll feed them. And when it's time to sleep, he'll give them a place to stay. And this is the same sustaining work and trust that God called the Israelites to you remember in Exodus 16:4 the Lord said to Moses behold I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law Or not, whether they would trust him day by day for the sustenance that they needed as they obeyed his words. This is what he's calling his apostles to as they take his message of salvation to people. This is the same trust he calls us to. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? When? When you need them and all things that you need. This is a call to trust. This is a call to even forego what would even be regarded as normal preparations for a journey. This seems that they are foregoing normal needs and normal preparations for a journey, normal cares, normal plans, normal ensuring that they're going to be taken care of, just packing some things. Well, with these things and with this commission and with this instruction from Jesus, they really could have said, listen, Jesus, This is just normal and right for us to care about these things. Yeah, we're going to go on the mission, but this is not a big deal. Like we should care about these things as we go. Like even while packing their bags and Jesus is telling them not to take anything at all, they could have easily said to Jesus, listen, Jesus, I'm not trying to be controlling. I'm not trying to be tactful. I'm not forsaking the ministry. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not obsessing about money and stuff. I'm not trying to be clever and stay one, ahead, one step ahead of my financial system. I'm not just looking out for me and my own. I'm not just cleverly and strategically working the system to ensure my own future or value and making sure I come out ahead and that I profit in every, every venture I do. I'm doing. I'm simply making preparations for the journey as you're calling me to this journey. And I'm just figuring out a few logistics and ensuring that a few details will work out. But Jesus here speaks with absolute clarity. He says, don't take anything. He calls his sent ones to focus primarily on the mission and trust that God will provide for what they need. They are to trust him and they are to go forward with the proclamation, whatever would come their way, trusting that Jesus will take care of them. That's to be their primary focus. And everything else is subservient to that. And later in Luke, here's what they're gonna testify. They're gonna testify to how the Lord came through in that provision. In Luke twenty-two thirty-five, 35, Jesus said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, or knapsack or sandals did you lack anything and they said nothing they didn't lack anything so this goes further and deeper than then simply not bringing anything with them or making preparations jesus is instructing them that they aren't to focus on making sure that they succeed or profit or even break even or are compensated they are to focus on serving Humbly entrusting themselves to God, focusing first on his mission. Matthew even gives us insight into this as he tells us about that Jesus will provide as they do the work of the ministry. And as we see this pattern established, we see that Jesus is even forcing an issue here that they would not be known for their wealth or their pursuit of success or financial gain while they're on mission. Let them never be accused of trying to do this for their own profit or gain but let them be seen as pursuing the mission first. It's what 2nd Timothy tells us as Paul instructs his son in the faith Timothy. He says, "Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." That's what we are, soldiers, never taking off our armor, coming home sweaty and dirty from trying to proclaim the message and the armor stays on. We are soldiers of Christ and no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Like the pursuits of civilians doesn't entangle the one who is a soldier and this is the main point of what Jesus is describing to them. This is a sobering word for all vocational ministers that are all Christians alike that sent ones. As Jesus chooses them to spread his message of salvation which is all believers that as the first priority they are to trust his provision, and keep in the front of their mind his mission. Now, church, I just need to tell you, and you need to know as we move forward in this principle, your career, your position, your success, your salary, your fame will mean absolutely nothing in eternity. your career, your position, your success, your salary, your recognition will mean absolutely nothing in eternity. But those who are saved due to your faithful proclamation will experience everlasting joy in the presence of God. They will be saved from an eternal suffering as the just punishment for their sins. What do you think you should give your life to? I mean, to pick the the temporary, the absolutely temporary is lunacy and immaturity It doesn't make any sense to be enamored with this life and the recognition that it brings and forsake the mission is saddening because not only is it causing people to never hear the gospel who are around you, but you are missing eternal joy of suffering for Christ as a messenger for Christ. I know it's hard, I know it takes time, and I know it's scary, but not by not pressing through and suffering for the sake of Christ in the effort to proclaim his message of salvation, you're missing eternal joy of risk-taking, soul-saving mission. You're missing the joys of rejection. You're missing the joys of being last. You're missing the joys of being a humble servant to all. You're missing the joys of being bankrupt of any stability or control whatsoever and having God as your only hope. You're missing the joys of being seen as less than because your main priority is proclamation. You're missing the joys of being mistreated and falsely accused. You're missing the joys of loss, a loss of your identity and a loss of all your stuff. You're missing the joys of all of those faults that we see, faults in messengers of the gospel. You're missing the joys that come along with all those hardships. And you're missing the sweet fellowship that they bring with Jesus. Forsake the temporary. Embrace the gospel, even if it means suffering. To proclaim his message to the people around you, to be a servant who is sent and who is fully dependent upon God to meet his needs. His needs and his wants are not his first priority, The mission is let's see this in light of eternity and let's pursue the joy. If you would understand the joy that comes along with the rejection in the pursuit of proclamation, you would not want anything more than that because it brings nearness and dependency to and upon God. David Platt says, that we should live our lives in such a way or pursue the mission in such a way or live for the mission and the ministry in such a way that makes no sense on earth, but makes total sense in heaven. Let that be the way that we live our lives. Jesus says in Luke nine sixty two, he said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is making his apostles here fit for the kingdom of God. This is their training ground. They are being sent out to share his message of salvation. Number one, Jesus gives us three principles for sent ones. Jesus says to do at least three things. Number one, fully depend on God to meet your needs. Number two, be content with whatever situation that the Lord leads you to. Be content with whatever situation the Lord leads you to. In verse four, this is where we find this particular point, verse four, so read it with me. The first point was from verse three. The second point is from verse four. It says this, whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you uh, leave that town, I'm sorry, that's verse five, but I'll keep going. Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So verse four, once again, and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So this is verse four that pertains to Jesus instructing them to be content with whatever situation the Lord leads them to. And so he says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Now we find how the disciples will be taken care of, how these apostles will be taken care of as they go. That in each place, they are to attempt to find a worthy home. That's what uh, Matthew tells us, to go into this home and to stay there. And as they are staying there, Jesus knows that some would be interested in being hospitable enough to provide for the apostles who are going. And they are not um, going to stay there for long. They're going to travel to a next town. But while they are there, they were not to desire to go to another home or stay in another house. They were to stay in that particular house until they left the town and departed to go to the next people, to in, share the message of the gospel with. So these are simple instructions to the sent ones. Depend completely on God and be content with wherever the Lord sends you to. Ultimately, whatever house they ended up in was by the providence of God. And so the limitation of acceptance and of responsibility to that of one household also limited the length of their stay in each place so they would keep on moving. But they should not be concerned with procuring better accommodations, which is the main point here, which would be offensive to their hosts. So Jesus is saying, Don't be infatuated by going to a better place. No matter what your situation is, be there until you are not there anymore, until you're sent on. So more than anything else, what Jesus is doing here is forcing them to trust God and focus on the people that are in front of them this is the focus, that they would be content with wherever the Lord sends them to. And this translates to our mission completely, because there are people around you. You are in the place that you are in by the providence of God. And through contentment, you focus on the people that are there and not focusing on taking the next step into a Better situation, but staying there rather than always trying to get more out of your own control and your own wisdom and your own sense of need. These servants were to spread the message of salvation wherever they went and to stay there until they were sent on and that they should be content with this situation as the Lord leads them there. So even when the situation seems less than ideal or uncomfortable, or they have better options on the table. There's a temptation Jesus knew for his servants who are spreading his message of salvation to be selfishly ambitious. You see, even for us as ministers of the gospel, we are called to shepherd you, the flock of God that is among us. We have been entrusted with a flock, which is the field church. And this is the flock that God has given us. He has not given us a different flock. He has given us this flock. He's not given us more of a flock or less than a flock or another type of flock. This is our flock. And so we are called not to look past you as a church, but we're called to look to you. As members of the field church, you are the ones that we are charged to shepherd and to help and to serve and to teach. And these apostles, they are called to minister to the towns or the homes in which they go and to be content while they are there. Now this translates to you because sometimes you may wish that you had a different flock or a bigger flock or a better flock than the ones in your home or the ones in your neighborhood or the ones at the gym or the ones at the coffee shop. You look beyond them. And Jesus is calling you to look to them. Be content with wherever God has sent you. Sometimes in our pride, we want more. And Jesus, this is simply what meets the eye here, right? Depend on him for your needs. Don't take anything with you. Keep me as the first priority and be content with where you are until you move on. And this is where Jesus is instructing his Apostles, he's already told them that their task is to proclaim and their task is to show compassion. So he gathers them, he empowers them, and he sends them. Now, with the instructions as they go, they are depending on him for all their needs and they are content with wherever the Lord sends them. And so they're continually needing to entrust themselves to the Lord to endure and to just be faithful with proclamation in front of them. In Philippians four, we see Paul speak of this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, Philippians. And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving me, giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul was focused on the ministry and the mission and the benefit and the fruit for the Philippians. And in this, he learned to be content. And even in his contentment, the Philippians provided for Paul as he was on mission. And so Jesus, three simple principles, for sent ones, as they proclaim, as they show compassion, after they are gathered, after they are empowered, and after they are sent, first, to fully Fully depend on God to meet your needs. Second, to be content with whatever situation the Lord leads you to. And third, see rejection with spiritual eyes. They are to see rejection with spiritual eyes. Eyes. This is the last instruction that Jesus gives them in this transitional section that establishes this permanent pattern. See rejection with spiritual eyes. We find this in verse five. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And verse six is just going to kind of be a summary for us to see how they obey. So this is the last instruction from Jesus for his sent ones. This is about being rejected. The question comes then, what if we are rejected? What if we go to a place and they do not let us stay and we have to go? Then he tells them the instructions of what they should think about this and how should they respond to this? What if we are not received? What if we are mocked? What if we are not listened to? What if people are ashamed of us? As Paul tells us in his, in uh, many of his writings, that people were ashamed to associate with him because he stood for the gospel what if no one stands by us just as paul again no one stood by him at the end of his letter in second timothy what if people hate us as jesus said many will hate you on his account what if we are despised as jesus says you're going to be falsely accused and despised on his account what if that happens jesus what then do we do and he says do more do no more than shake the dust off of your feet this is simple but this is judgment Jesus here is speaking of judgment. He is speaking of how to think about rejection and how to respond to rejection when being sent as a servant who shares the message of salvation. He says, Think about it this way think about it as judgment. Now, Matthew 10 really opens this up for us. Because again, this is the supplement. This shows us the exact same story. And here's what Matthew writes. He says, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is judgment. Understand that who are they being sent to? Now, this is very, very important. They are being sent to Jewish people. They are, Still in the Galilean ministry before Jesus heads to Jerusalem. There's no Gentile work here. So he is being they are being sent to Jewish people, to to the Israelites. And so with this being said, Jesus is showing that once they reject you, if they reject you, if they do not accept my message, this is a judgment upon them. How do we know they were being sent to the Jews? Well, Matthew again tells us that they were. So Jesus said to the 12 in Matthew 10, 5 through 7, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So that's pretty clear but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the same passage, the same story. So this is who they are charged to go to. And when they go and are rejected, they should see this as a time of judgment from God. And as they shake off their shoes, their sandals, their garments, that is a display, a symbol of judgment. Judgment meaning that they have, rejected the Messiah. You see, the way that the apostles should see this is by not taking it personal. When they face rejection as they are spreading the message of salvation, they shouldn't take it personal. They should see this as judgment, as ones who are rejecting not them, but Christ Jesus as the Messiah. You see, Paul displays to us this judgment and shows us how this points us to judgment. When he went to the Jews, here's what it says in Acts 18.6, the same type of thing. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so we see Paul here doing the same thing, showing judgment that has come upon the Jewish people for not believing. Now this is strong language, but this is how Jesus is calling his apostles as they're going, depending on him for their needs, as they're going, and as they're content in whatever situation they're placed in, and as they're going, and as they face rejection, they should see this as those who are not rejecting them, but are rejecting the Messiah. They should look upon them as true Gentiles, not members of the promise, those who have rejected the new covenant. Those who have rejected Christ. This is the people that have rejected the Messiah and this is them rejecting the apostles because they don't believe in Jesus. And so these, this is a Jewish practice with the shaking off of the dirt. This is simply a Jewish practice. What would happen is when Jews would walk through Gentile regions from the dirt on their sandals and upon their clothes prior to entering back into a Jewish region, they would shake that out or get the dust off not to bring te- pagan dirt into the Holy Land. And so he says, if you go into a house in Galilee, And they don't hear your message and receive you. Treat it as if they were a Gentile. Now, this judgment is strong, but imagine this. These disciples, these apostles, sent ones, they're called to proclaim and they're showing compassion. They're doing this in love. And Jesus is is gathering them and sending them. And Jesus is, He's calling them to proclaim. They're gathered, they're empowered, they're sent, they're proclaiming, they're showing compassion and they're being rejected. They should see this with spiritual eyes lest they become discouraged. That the ones rejecting them are rejecting the promise. They're rejecting salvation. They're rejecting the Messiah. And so you too, Sent one. As you are going about being a proclaimer of his message, you should depend on him for all of your needs. You should be content in whatever situation he sends you. And you should see rejection with spiritual eyes. That those you are sharing with, if they don't believe your message, they are not rejecting you. You're not that important. I'm not that important. In some ways, this is pride. They are rejecting Christ. They are rejecting his message. They are rejecting salvation. That should break our hearts. And we should also understand the reality of judgment that comes upon those who reject the Messiah. And so that shouldn't cause us to fear going. That should cause us to care about the people we're going to. That we would be people who don't take it personally. Don't take it personal. It's them rejecting the Christ, the one who's come to die for the forgiveness of their sins, that they might have entrance into the kingdom of God through believing that he indeed is the Christ. So this is not, shouldn't be more about us. It should be about him and we should see his truth in this way. So this section is an important section. It's a transition section where his messengers will now be the ones who share his message of salvation. They are proclaiming, they are showing compassion, they are gathered, they empowered, they're sent, they're being sent, and the instructions to them and to us are fully depend on God to meet your needs as you are sharing his message. Let that be your first priority of your life. Be content with whatever situation the Lord sends you to and see rejection with spiritual eyes. This is good advice for first time messengers, isn't it? Jesus knows best how to instruct his apostles. These are first time missionaries. These are first time sent ones. This is establishing a new pattern. And this is how Jesus is going to choose to advance his cause on into the future. And for us, this is a good practice for us to be sent ones. Now we close with verse six, simply put, they do exactly as Jesus says. This is what happens in verse six. And this is what we aim to see. It says this, and they departed and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, what we see is that this is almost exactly the wording of verse two. When Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal this is is to show us, Luke is showing us that they departed and they followed his instructions as sent ones. And their main priority was to proclaim the gospel message and to show compassion. They followed all of his instructions while they were going out. And we too should be people who obey his instructions here. We shouldn't lose sight of them once this service is over. We should remember them. This should be the new way that we practice multiplication. This should be the way in which we obey God's commission to us as sent ones who share his message, that we would reach others. This is the task of every Christian. And I pray that you would fulfill your role in the great commission as you proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's be on mission Church, this is the pattern that he's established for all Christians. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Thank you. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your word. Help us to be gripped by it and help us to believe it. That we too would see that this is what you have established for Christians. That we too are sent ones, proclaimers of your kingdom showing compassion to those we share with, that you have called us and empowered us and sent us and that we are to depend on you for every one of our needs. We are to be content with wherever you send us and we, God, are to see rejection with spiritual eyes. I pray that we would live on mission for you that you would be glorified and that people would be saved. Help us to step into this pattern and to follow your practice as normal life for us as believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.